So we are um, in the third week of this series, and we have been um, talking about the idea of making a comeback. Um, That is, when you found yourself in a position in life, which probably um, all of us have at one juncture or another, to some degree, and if you haven't, you will, um, just wait. Um, But finding yourself in a position where things have gone wrong, and everything around you, uh, at least in an individual area, has crashed and burned, and there are ashes, and you've got to figure out how to pick up and try again, and how to make a comeback um, with it all. And, and regardless of whose fault it was, and you know, give us enough time, and we'll figure out a way that none of it was our fault. Um, but regardless of whose fault it was. Um, we have to start again. And, and we've focused on the idea the last couple of weeks, the idea of how do you do that and make sure that the next time the comeback isn't the same as the last time, the crash and burn part. Um, because we've, we've seen, we've all seen, many of us have experienced and done, we've seen people who keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And when it doesn't work, they're just like, well, the next time. The next time it'll be right. And the next time, the next time, and just kind of just keeps repeating. So how do you make a comeback in something without repeating it? And last week we started looking at three essential things um, that you've got to address or get a handle on to make sure that the next time is indeed different. And, And those are these, own it, rethink it, and let it go. Those are three things that we've got to do. And last week we talked about owning it. And that is the idea of taking blame, identifying and taking the blame for your part. Because as we learned last week, you cannot blame your way into a better future. You, you can carry blame into the future, but it won't be a better future. Um, and, and the reason so many of us are hesitant to do this, um, why it's so difficult is because for a lot of us, the story that we tell about why things fell apart and why things burned to the ground and there's so many ashes around us, the, the story that we tell Um, if we haven't taken our blame, like paints us as a sympathetic character, paints us as the one who was wronged. And and when we tell that story, it's energizing because when people hear that story, their response tends to be like, oh, I can't believe that happened to you. I can't believe so-and-so did that to you. I can't believe that company did that. I can't believe. And you just kind of get this energy and this validation that you draw out of this story. And so because of that, it's really difficult to kind of, Take the, take the responsibility for your part because then when you start telling the story and it's like, oh, and so I, and then you lay out your part, all of a sudden you don't get that reaction and the story's not quite as satisfying. And so today we're gonna take a look at that second step, the, the rethink it part. Now here's, here's what I mean by rethink it. That when you look back on whatever area it is that you're having to make a comeback in, whether you, know, you spent yourself into debt and you're having to make a financial comeback, something happened and your career went kaplooey and you got to restart that, a, a relationship or a marriage failed and you need to rebuild and move on. When, when, you, when you're looking back on the areas where it went wrong, even if your share of the responsibility was small, even if you're like, okay, Andy, I've given an honest look and yes, you know, everybody has responsibility and I definitely did some, but like this much, was them. Even in that, at some point, we ask ourselves the question, what was I thinking? Anybody ever ask themselves that question? Yeah, all right. I ask myself that question regularly. Um, 
What in the world was I thinking? And when you look back, it could be any, oh man, everybody told me that they weren't right for me. Ah, but I just didn't listen. I just didn't listen. They asked me, what did I see in them? And I struggled to come up with anything substantive, but I just knew I was in love. Ah, What was I thinking? Zero down, eight year payment at 12% interest. (laughs) for something that may or may not last to the end of the eight years. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Everybody warned me. And here's the thing. When we look back on our failures in life, and and we all have them, when we look back on our failures in life, many times our decisions, not only do they not make sense to everybody else that was watching, but they don't make sense to us. And we were the ones making the decisions. We were the ones that had all of the context in our head for the decision that we made. And we looked back and we're like, uh, what was I doing? What was I thinking? But here's the, here's the catch in all of this. And this is what I really wanna focus in um, for today as we talk about this. Um, I think all of us in, uh, intuitively ask the question, what was I thinking? That, that comes natural. But my observation and personal experience with how I handle the question um, so we all ask it intuitively, but very few of us camp out on that question long enough to actually get a real answer, right? We have that moment of, oh, what was I thinking? I'm such an idiot. All right, let's go. <laughs> let's do it again. What was I thinking? Oh, let's just jump back in. Oh, what was I thinking that? Ooh, look at her. Yeah. Ooh, look at him. Ooh. What was I thinking? Let's go shopping. <laughs> like, anyway, you know, and, and we ask the question. It's kind of a question that... in our situation begs us to ask, but we don't actually spend enough time on it to come up with a real answer, to really figure out, now, what was it that I was thinking? Why did I make those decisions? And answering that question is key to making sure that the next time doesn't look exactly like the last time. And anytime you see someone in a situation where their relationship looks like the last one and it's going to end like the last one and then the one after that's going to be the same or they have the same spending pattern or whatever, anytime you look at someone who's repeating it over and over and over again, they have not stopped and answered this question honestly. What was I thinking? And, and, and here's why this is a key. Because if you think the way you used to think, you'll always do the things you used to do. So if you never spend any time figuring out what you think, you're just gonna keep thinking that way by default. And if you keep thinking that way, you're gonna keep acting the same way and get the same results every time. And so maybe, 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 even in areas where you think very little of the blame lands on you, you need to figure out what was I thinking for the parts where it did. So today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that highlights the importance of this, gives us an instruction, and then we're going to look at a few assumptions as examples that you may or may not relate with, but a few examples of some ideas that people think and they never question them and they just carry them from season to season of life and the results are the same over and over again because it just isn't enough to ask the question, you owe yourself an answer. So if you have your Bible, we're gonna be in Romans chapter 12. And Romans is a letter that Paul wrote um, to the Christians in 
Rome. You can... Yeah, he wrote it to the Christians in Rome, and Rome was not a very safe place to be um, a Christian at the time. You really, you really had to want to do it. Um, the Christians in Rome, they were living under the shadow of the Roman Empire, and eventually Christianity would be um, declared the, the official religion, but that was a long way down the road from when Paul wrote this. And Paul was somebody um, who, you know, talk about having to make a comeback. He had, he had to do it. He had the first stage of his life where we meet him and he lived with a lot of embarrassment and shame over what he did in part one. As there were a lot of people who he was responsible for separating from families, for jailing, some for even their death, all because they had decided to commit the high crime of putting their faith in Jesus. So Paul understood this tension um, the, the, this idea, and he knew what he had to, he knew what he was talking about, which anytime somebody experiences something and they're talking out of experience, they're not just talking out of theory or conjecture. And even more than talking out of experience, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, um, examined experience, we actually went back and uh, spent some time thinking about it. It always adds a little more credence to somebody's words. So here, here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, he says, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters. Now this was a letter written to Christians, which means if you're not a Christian, you have an option. You can do this or not do this. Um, If you are a Christian, you're kind of on the hook for it. But he says, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, that is considering everything that God has done for us, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies, not just your minds, not just your intentions, not just an hour on Sunday mornings throughout the week. One more than that. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And we read this, and to us, the idea of sacrifice, like that's, a, that's allegorical, you know, sacrifice. Okay, I understand what they're saying. But they saw, the Christians that he was writing, they saw like blood body sacrifices, like it, it was a dangerous time for them. And so when Paul's writing to them, you know, offer your body as a living sacrifice, like this, this, this had a heavy connotation. It, it, it gave a, a, a level of seriousness and a level of weight to it. It goes a little beyond what we read into it today. But, but then it's kind of as if Paul, when he was writing, he was kind of going back and looking over what he was writing. He's like, oh, okay. Um, you know, that may be a little... You know, that may be a little heady. What does that actually even mean, offering your body as a sacrifice? And so he kind of dives into the details. Okay, what exactly is that? Because you could just say that to somebody and that can sound um, cultish or just weird and have no meaning whatsoever. And so he dives in and in the process of diving in, he gives us this great passage. Verse two, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. If you conform to the pattern, that means you're gonna look like everybody else. You're gonna think like everybody else. You're gonna act like everybody else. After all, that's kind of the point of patterns is for it all to be the same every single time. But you weren't meant to be like everybody else. Okay, well, don't conform to the pattern. Okay, then what, Paul? He says, but be transformed. And here's the rub with that. Conforming takes zero intentionality. You can just pick up your feet, flow with the current, 
conforming is easy. You can do it without ever really giving it a second thought. But Paul wants us to be transformed. And he says, I want you to lean into it. I want you to give an effort into it. I want you to be transformed. Do you really want to be like everybody else? Do you, want to, do you really want your marriage to look like everybody else's marriage? And sometimes we're like, well, well, yeah. I mean, if I could pick a couple marriages, yeah, I'd like it to look like that. Odds are you don't really know what that marriage is like. I mean, the pictures on Facebook are great. They look great when they're out together. You don't know. You don't know. There are a whole lot of marriages that were perfect marriages. And all of a sudden, one day, you're like, what? They're not together anymore? What happened? It was perfect. It's not. Do you, do you really want to be in debt? Like everybody around us is in debt? There, there, there was an article that came out this week that, uh, I, I can't remember, Brad, what was the percentage of the, the people be? Oh, yeah, it was a number. Seven million people in this country are three months or more behind on their car payments. Seven million people, 90 days behind on their car payments. It's crazy. But yet the number of new cars and car commercials that you see just driving around, I've often wondered how in the world so many people in this town are able to afford forty dollars and $50,000 trucks. I'm like, I don't get it. And then I'm like, oh, I get it. They're just not paying for them. <laughs> That, that, that makes sense. I can do that. Do you really, really want to financially be like everybody else and conform to the pattern? Do you want your kids being like every other kid? Some of you are like, well, if that means they're different than what they are now, yeah. No, but no. Do you really? Do you really want your kid? Well, well, no, Paul, that all sounds terrible. I agree. So you need to transform. Okay, well, how, how do I transform? By this, by the renewing of your mind. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The renewing of your mind. But I want you to be a, a, a living sacrifice. But in order for that to happen, you've got to make some changes in the way that you think. And in order to change the way that you think, you've got to have an actual question to, or answer to the question, what was I thinking? Because you got to know what you were thinking in order to be able to change your thinking, right? You, you're not, you're, you're transformed not simply by the engagement of your will. All of us have had those experiences where something went bad and our response was, I'm going to try harder, right? Anybody done the try harder thing? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to engage my will. I'm going to set a schedule and I'm going to get up and I'm going to work out and I'm going to eat right. And I'm going to, and then, you know, and none of, none of us, well, some of us have. Good on you. Most of us, no, we don't. We engage our will and our will's good for a minute. And then all of a sudden we're willless and we're right back to where we were. And most of the time what happens is like, okay, when you have the little fail, when you have the failure, like it, you know, there's the crash and that's hard. But like when we engage our will and there's some kind of element, I, I don't know, I'm gonna say more than I can explain in this sentence, but there's this kind of this element of will worship within us that we think we are good enough 
that when we engage that and then we crash again, it crashes even harder and causes even more damage. And so to avoid this, Paul says, you've got to renew your mind. And renew means to restore. And if you've ever restored anything or seen something that once was old and beat up and then was restored, it's effort. It's effort. You gotta, you gotta grind off the old. It is, it is the singular reason with as much as I love the idea of restored furniture, I will never buy furniture cheap and restore it. I won't. The process is too much. I just can't. Some of you enjoy that. Ah, but you gotta just, I mean, strip that old off of there. And it's such a, and the thing is, is that you gotta do that before you can put on the new. But, but when you're taking off the old, it's a process. When you're in the middle of stripping off the old and taking off, nobody walks up in the middle of your stripping off the old process and be like, oh, that looks so good. You're doing such good work. That looks fantastic. No, people walk up and they see it. They see it in mid process. It's like, ugh, you probably should have just left it. It looked better the way it was. What What are you doing? Why would you spend so much energy and time taking something off. Why don't you just put on the new, right? I mean, not all that work and everything. The new's gonna cover it anyway. So just, just throw the new on there, right? But let me ask you a question. What happens when you just put the new on top of the old? Doesn't take very long for the new to start peeling and going away. And that old that's underneath there starts to emerge. If you want to see a great example of this, you don't have to do anything more than just head to the bathroom after church. Because as is the case in so many old buildings like this, when walls were originally painted, they were painted in oil-based paint. And then everybody comes along now and uses latex paint. And what happens when you put latex paint on oil paint? It begins to peel. And so you add in this being a daycare center and everything else and all the bumps and screws on the wall. And there's just every, you can walk, there's just peeling spots where you see the other color underneath and then they'll go and just, you know, paint over top of the one spot. And then it's just different colors and it just peels and peels and peels. If you don't make the effort to get rid of the old, the new will not last. And listen, there are a whole lot of good things that you can add to your life. You can, you can start changing and you can start doing. But if you haven't fundamentally changed the way that you think, if you haven't stripped away that old, all of the good things that you add will look good for a minute and they'll eventually start to peel away and the old will present itself again. Your future will begin looking just like your past. So Paul says, strip away the old. Renew your mind. And then here's the promise. He puts a, he puts a promise in it. it. says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Which how many of you always wanted to know what God's will is for you? I mean, yeah, that'd be great. Some of you might thinking, you know, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, if I, if I, you know, if I just pray hard enough, maybe I'll hear the voice of God. I thought that when I was a kid. 
Oh man, if I just prayed hard enough, I'm gonna hear God's voice. In fact, there were, uh, I remember one time in Sunday school, we heard the story of a child that was praying and then he heard the voice. Thought it was somebody else went out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that wasn't me. Turns out it was God. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna. Listen, you do not wanna hear a voice. You don't. The voice of God audibly would be terrifying. Like nobody in the Bible heard the voice of God and like was not scared. It's just not, you especially don't want to hear a voice if you're praying by yourself at night. Like, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to do that. Because listen, in the Bible, like there's a couple, there's a couple exceptions, but most of the time when there was an audible voice of God, something bad followed. It was a rough thing. So you, you don't want to, you don't want to hear a voice. But here's what he's saying. If you would like to be able to discern God's will, that is, if you want to know what God wants, if you would like to be able to weed through all of the options, to be able to kind of cut through the circumstances and the fog that, that comes with them and be able to choose the right option and, and come to the right conclusion, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because if you think the way you've always thought, you'll behave the way you always behave. So here are a few assumptions um, that people carry through life from stage to stage to stage. And, and, and these may not, you know, there may be some of you that none of these hit. Um, some of you may connect with one of them, some maybe a couple, I don't know. But these are some things that kind of run deep in people's operating system. Like so much they don't even necessarily realize it's there, but, but it keeps kicking out behaviors that when you do them, you're like, ah, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? Well, here's the reason you did that because this is the assumption and the thought deep within your operating system. So here's one. If I find the right person, everything will be all right. This is a tale as old as time. Oh, everything's a mess. The last relationship was a mess. Oh, but that's just, that's just because I didn't have the right person. If I find the right person, it's gonna be okay. Mm, wrong, big X. That's not what does it. Maybe, maybe if you become the right person, that's a start because it isn't about finding. Well, that relationship didn't work out, that last one, you know, because he was, he was an idiot. If I find a non-idiot, it'll be better. Good luck finding a non-idiot. We're all idiots. But if I can just find a non-idiot, it'll be better. Which I want to ask, well, why did you pick an idiot last time? <laughs> what were you thinking? What was that? What, 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 and, 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 you know, and if you don't answer that question, well, why did I pick an idiot last time? You're just going to find another idiot. And it's going to be a cycle. It's going to be a cycle. Because becoming the right person needs to be more the goal, not finding the right person. Here's, an, here's another one that, that people carry through. My situation is unique. No, it's not. No, it's not. This, this, is, why, this, is, why there, this is why there are counselors. You, you know, when you go to a doctor, when you're not feeling well physically, you go, you go to a doctor, and do you know why they're able to diagnose you? Because pretty much everybody is the same. Like physical body, the bodies are all the same and they all work the same way. 
And when they go wrong, they tend to go wrong in many of the same ways. It's why the doctor can write you a prescription and it'll work. Because basically it's an educated guess of, well, everybody's body operates the same way. So if your body is doing this, it'll respond to that. That, 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 that's, that's how it is. So let me tell you, and nobody wants to hear this, your situation is not unique. Many of you are unique, but your situation is not unique. And here's why, here's why this is such an important assumption. Because the assumption of my situation is unique allows you to dodge the rules. Thinking my situation is unique allows you to set aside scriptures that you read that would cause you to do things that you don't wanna do. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true, but my situation. Thinking your situation is unique is what allows you to avoid wise counsel. Yeah, yeah, I know that's what they're gonna say, but my situation is different than that. And so they don't understand it. And so I can avoid the wise counsel. And thinking and operating with that underlying assumption of my situation is unique allows you to lie to yourself, to excuse your decisions and behaviors all under the guise of unique situation. When in reality, your unique situation has happened thousands upon thousands of times. Here's another one. Well, it's not right, but it makes me happy and God wants me to be happy. Now, listen, it sounds silly when I say this on a Sunday morning in church through a microphone, but this idea runs rampant through our culture. And listen, I'm gonna tell you something, and this is, some of you are gonna be like, (gasps) and immediately start flipping your Bible. Here you go. I don't know if God wants you to be happy or not. And if you think God wants you to be happy, you have to understand something. You made that up. You made that up. What do you base it on? And you're like, well, no, I'm pretty sure. And you can start flipping and basing on. Here's the problem. The problem is our understanding of happiness. It's our understanding of happiness. We confuse what God wants us for us, which is contentment and joy, with the euphoria of feelings that we connect to happiness within our country. And listen, that's, it's, not our, it's not your fault that that's what you call happiness and, that, and you confuse that with joy and with contentment. I mean, after all, we're in a culture that bombards us with this idea of happiness, feeling, 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 experience. It's gotta be better. It's gotta be bigger. The next thing is happy, happy, happy. But doing the wrong thing, no matter what feeling you're trying to achieve or no matter how happy you think it will make you, always, always leads to trouble. The wrong thing is always the wrong thing, no matter how it makes you feel. And it'll always lead you to another situation where you find yourself going, what was I thinking? Here's one, it's kind of related. If only I had, and fill in whatever it is you want, then I would be satisfied. If only I had the $50,000 truck, then I would be satisfied. But here's the truth. It doesn't matter what you want to put in that blank. 
It doesn't matter what it is that you've got an appetite for or desire for. Appetites are never fully satisfied. You cannot feed them once and they go away. It's not how they work. And the idea that there is anything that you could gain or achieve or own that would satisfy that appetite and set it down forever, that idea is just wrong. And I'm not saying don't have things and I'm not saying don't do things, but don't lie to yourself and talk yourself into something uh, under the false impression that it's going to satisfy you. Because if if satisfaction is what you're looking for, I promise you the outcome is gonna be, I thought this would satisfy me. It didn't. Why did I think that? Why did I think that owning that, buying that, wearing that, driving that, why did I think that would fulfill my desires? Why did I think that? Why, why, while we're on the subject of buying things, how, how about this is an idea. I owe is better than I want. This is one that people carry, 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 and oh my gosh. And, and listen, nobody in this room, I'm pretty confident, has ever consciously thought that. Nobody has ever thought, okay, well, I want it. I don't have the money, and so I'll get it, and so I'll owe, but I owe is better than I want. Right? Nobody's done that. Nobody's done I want it, but I got a little money, so I can either sit around wanting it, or, or I'm going to have it and owe money on it, right? But every time, every time, that leads us to, again, ask the question, what was I thinking? I mean, there's going to be dissatisfaction either way. I'm either wanting or owing. I might as well owe because then I got what I want. But that leads us to places that we do not want to be. It leads us to places that inhibit us from when we come across things that matter in life, things that we really want to do that would be satisfying, things that we want to contribute to, people we want to help. We find ourselves in a position where our heart goes over to that fully and we have no financial ability to do what God has laid on our heart all because we've bought into the mentality or carried this idea of the way everybody else, the pattern that the world has for finances. I owe, I owe, I owe. Here's another one, and this one's devastating in the rebuild and the comeback. My secret is safe with me. This one, hmm. I mean, in short, no, it's not. It isn't. You may think it is. First of all, secrets are unhealthy, like from, from the get-go. And secrets from past stages of life and from past relationships carried into new relationships don't stay safe. Those secrets break hearts because secrets, they seep into our attitude our thinking, our behaviors. And listen, especially, especially, especially in new marriages and new relationships that are part of a comeback story. Man, the secrets are a third and there's no room for a third in a couple. So don't lie to yourself. And I could go on and on and on about that one. I could go on and on and on with examples of things we think and we don't ever 
take the time to process them. But here's the point. All of these things are examples of ways that people think that because they've gone unexamined, because they haven't been recognized, because there hasn't been work done to change and renew these thoughts, they've led to destruction. These are ways of thinking that have caused people to find themselves in situations to where now they have to make a comeback. They don't have any choice because they've operated under thoughts like these. But too often we do not take the time to understand what we were thinking and we carry the same thought process from season to season to season and our future ends up looking identical to our past. But Paul says, you wanna break the cycle? You've got to renew your mind. Identify those old thought patterns. Begin to strip them away and then put on the new way of thinking. Replace those ideas with ideas that God would use to lead us to what he has for us. Because when you put on those new ways of thinking, then you will be able to discern God's will. And when you can do that, when you can discern what it is that God wants for you, when you can look at all of the ash around you that's been during now and be able to clearly see, okay, this is my way forward. And it's not like the way that I was before. Then you will be able to make a comeback that looks nothing like your past failures. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you Lord, that you are the God of the comeback. And Lord, we can, we can look through the scriptures and find example after example after example of people who have messed up, people who have made decisions and done things that would cause them to be disqualified by any standard. But God, out of those ashes, you raised them up and gave them a comeback that was epic. That thousands of years later, we open the pages and read about. And God, not only have you done that on the grand scale, but Lord, you do that for individuals. That Lord, no matter what we've been through and what we've done to this point, God, you can leverage it. And every single person is eligible for a comeback. And so Lord, as we go out this week, I, I pray that we continue to do the work. That not only do we recognize and take responsibility for our, our faults and, and our part of what went wrong in the past, but Lord, we then began to examine and understand why we made the choices we made so that we begin to strip those thought processes away and begin to think the way you would have us to think. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you that you lift us up even when we don't deserve it. Be with us as we go until we can meet again. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. Be with us next week as we wrap up the series, Come Back. It's a